sometimes you had an impression of what a team would be, you see what they actually are, and then by week six, it's completely different, right? <laughs> I mean, every, each week is so brand new. This is the Splitting Hairs Podcast, brought to you by Jackrabbit Illustrated. But if I can eat the meat of my opponents, like, wouldn't that be dope? So, I mean, when you look at it and you look how tough the league's gonna be, if you get to that number, that's very impressive. I sang Desperado in Showfire once. So, <laughs> so right now we got a big log jam at two and one. Northern Iowa, South Dakota, Southern Illinois as well. Southern Illinois' only loss was to Kansas State. Uh, the one player you know that I'm really interested in on their defensive front that he did mention is number thirteen, uh, that Anoka Malola. Yeah, uh, he he was just a destroyer All in work. that game against uh, Eastern to open the season. Now here are your hosts, Matt Tollefson and Kyle Sheehan. What's up, Jackrabbit Nation? It's the Splitting Hairs podcast presented by Jackrabbit Illustrated. Kyle and Dallas here tonight. Hopefully Matt can join us here um, before too long. But Dallas, how are you doing? It's improvement week. Not a whole lot on the table for the Jacks as far as discussion about an opponent and who we played previously. Um, but how are you feeling? Feeling good. Solid weekend of football. I still look at my wounds after that Vikings game getting done just now, but you can't be all that surprised. That's I know, sad. man. It's like we <laughs> you outplay the opponent and then you leave it in the hands of a kicker who uh, who we all know that if you're a Vikings fan, it doesn't uh, bode too well. Since 98, it hasn't bode too well. So, No, no. Par for the course. But otherwise, I get some great college football yesterday. Missed watching the Jacks, but I wanted to plug. We got a couple of, of special edition pods. If you know, as everybody's getting ready for the game week here, you want to go back and listen. You got what? We've got two solid interviews that you had, Kyle. We got Coach Stig from about a week ago. So I go back and check that out. About everything that comes out of Stig's mouth should go on a, a poster or a T-shirt or something. Uh, basically, every everything is quotable. Uh, a lot of wisdom. Had, <laughs> a lot of wisdom. More more than I think he knows what to do with. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and then we got Mark Gronowski. Yeah, that came out just today. So listen to that. And then also, if you're looking just for some basic college football talk, uh, we had a group pod here a few days ago just talking the the FBS realignment and the impact on FCS and what that could do to some some familiar teams. So a lot, a lot of good content. Make sure everybody gets back and checks that out. Yeah, definitely. We would love for you guys to check it out. Give us a rating, uh, however you, you catch your pods, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Apple Music, whatever they're calling it these days. Um, wherever you listen to it, feel free to give us a rating. Uh, we can always improve. Um, we definitely uh, take your feedback to heart and uh, we love hearing from fans just weigh in all, all together. So appreciate that. Um, it was fun catching up with both Stig doing the pod with you guys. I thought we had a great back and forth. Um, just a really hot button topic, right? The realignment. Everybody's always curious to see what happens and how the complexion kind of shakes up. And, and the implications for FCS are really cool to talk about nowadays. There's uh, there's some rumblings in the Twitterverse uh, that it's already a foregone conclusion that James Madison and North Dakota State are going to play for a title because... Well, if you saw it to... on Twitter, you know it's true. Yeah. They, well, I mean, it's from it's from some some people who have uh, have their ties pretty close to, to the Bison, right? But... Uh, it's just fascinating to see that it's already a foregone conclusion. So love to hear that, um, especially with some of the, the stout 
Missouri Valley competition uh, that's going to be on the table this year, not just from the Jacks perspective, but you know, you still got UNI out there in the Illinois states of the world. Um, so you never know what could, what could play out. And especially with the way SIU is playing, whew, SIU is looking pretty good, man. Taking a oh, power five Kansas state to the wire. Um, and then doing what they did against Dayton, who's had, uh, you know, Dayton is what they are, but they had a nice little uh, tight end in the league currently uh, with the Saints. So there's always good talent uh, out there. So you never want to sleep on anyone. And uh, realignment is always a fascinating conversation, as was the conversation with Mark. You know, it was great to check up, check out uh, what Mark is uh, is up to these days as far as his rehab and what he's going through and just kind of his thought process. Obviously, he was a big time contributor for the Jacks in the spring so that was cool to kind of peel back some layers, get an idea of his mindset and who he is as a person, not just a player. So that was fun. And, uh, you know, before we get too deep into this, I do want to highlight a couple of things. Drake's place out in Bodle, South Dakota has got Ooh, a new yep. sandwich, right? A new sandwich. Uh, it's a Club 71 sandwich here, um, along with a 605 hog burger that's going to be coming out. Um, definitely go check that out. He's got some cool themes uh, Jackrabbit themed items coming onto the menu mid September here. So that's going to be exciting. Um, hold, hold let me read on, off. Hold, oh, you're going to read it off? Yeah, this I got to read off here. Illegal. If you could ban a sandwich, this one should be banned. I know, right? Um, he's got some potentially bison themed stuff coming out too. And I love <laughs> bison anyway. But if yeah. I can eat the meat of my opponents, like, wouldn't that be dope? Um, let's see here. Bear with me. Bear with me. Don't like the dead audio. That's right. I, you know what? I got it up here. Can, can I read this off? Yeah, read it All up. Right, so, all right. So we got the Club 71 sandwich, which you That's think it. club club sandwich makes sense. No, no, no. Get this. Grilled ham and cheese and a grilled turkey and Swiss. Those are the buns for a BLT. So you've got a sandwich and a sandwich making a sandwich. Love that. Yeah, I need one right now. You can never have too much sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. But also uh, the 605 hog burger is going to be coming out too uh, from what I've heard. So you'll have to check that out too. It's great to have the themes uh, to coincide with the guys who are doing all the hard work out there and just uh, what Mr. Drake is doing out there to honor the Jacks is, is truly awesome. So we want to give a nod to him as our title sponsor. Make sure you check them out. Uh, give them some love um, whenever you stop by and Bodle, make sure you say hello to him and give him some some love. Um, so moving on, want to touch a little bit on kind of a hot button topic uh, aside from realignment uh, that comes out ever so often when a challenge is lined up, right? So we did the Big Sky MVFC challenge. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, the Big Sky Conference is a power similar to the Missouri Valley Football Conference at the FCS level. And the two conference Heads have decided to basically get together and uh, have a scheduling matchup where it, it pits some of our conference members against their conference members, right? Pretty self-explanatory. Well, this year we had six games starting September 4th. North Dakota squared off against Idaho State. Missouri Valley took the W in that one. Northern Arizona at South Dakota. South Dakota took the W in that one. Western Illinois at Montana. That was last week. Montana got the better of, of the Leathernecks there, as many people may this year. Um, September 11th, UNI at Sac State. Now, that was kind of a marquee matchup that people had their eye on, right? Because Sac State <clears throat> actually was, uh, I think they won a share of the conference not too long ago, maybe 2019, 2018, can't remember. 
I believe it was 2019, um, that they were kind of, uh, you know, they announced themselves on the scene, Sac State did, with a new staff. You and I took that one um, pretty handedly as well. So then fast forward to this past weekend. Eastern Washington, I think the the actual total uh, on the point spread was 62 points. Eastern Washington had 62 alone in that contest. Western <laughs> scored, I believe, a, a 40 spot, 42, something like that of their own. But took another L. No, 56. The last, it was 62-56. 62-56. Okay, pardon yeah. me. Didn't mean to short Western. Unless, they're, I they're, could be looking at a basketball score here, I guess. I could be wrong. It could be. It sounds like a basketball <laughs> score anyway to me. I mean, dang, like I I don't I don't see you don't see a lot of 60 spots in games. But you know, Eric Barrier, the quarterback of Eastern Washington, uh, you know, perennial Walter Payton Award finalist member and just all everything through the air type quarterback, also can get it done a little bit with his legs, had a, a day, right? Like I think he had over 250 plus yards in the first quarter, first half or something like that, which was just insane. Five, five twenty-four, six touchdowns. Yeah. So you know an average day at the office. <laughs> if you're you know, bad, uh, yes. it was pretty it was it's you know, don't want to take anything away from those guys, but it is Western Illinois who has struggled and has finished toward the bottom of the conference uh, as far as all of the as far as all of the Missouri Valley contendership is concerned. Uh, they, they tend to, f- to finish toward the bottom. They're 0-3 currently. Um, North Dakota State checking in at 3-0. South Dakota State obviously 2-0. Illinois State's also there right there with Indiana State, who's our foe coming up this week, which – you know, we'll, we'll dive into more of them later. Um, North Dakota is also two and one. Northern Iowa is two and one. So right now we got a big log jam at two and one. Northern Iowa, South Dakota, Southern Illinois as well. Southern Illinois' only loss was to Kansas State, ranked power five foe. South Dakota obviously dropping theirs to Kansas by three, uh, kind of on a boneheaded uh, targeting call late in the game that kind of, you know, put them in a disadvantageous position. Um, and then you got Missouri State, who dropped uh, their lone loss to Central Arkansas. So they're one and one. Youngstown State and then Western Illinois rounding out the whole conference at 0 and 3. The reason I'll be interested to hear Ben and Brendan break down USD a little bit because they're, they're obviously, you know, they're always kind of outward looking. They break down other games. Just looking at the, the Coyotes from afar, I don't know what to expect out of them this year. I think I think they got a lot of talent. It'll be what what Matt harps on a lot is their offensive line, and, right. and you know, obviously, it being a a rivalry and an in state rivalry, and at their place, it's going to be it's going to be intense. The Annie is going to be upped, and obviously, they won the last one, so I would imagine the boys in blue are going to be pretty hyped to get to get that bad taste out of their mouths as well. Now, if you look at just diving back into the Big Sky Missouri Valley Football Conference Challenge here. We went four and two as a conference. The Valley did with our two losses being Western Illinois. So, I mean, if you look at it, you really, <laughs> I mean, you really can, it's every contest is unique, but essentially the same team lost twice. So um, therefore it's kind of uh, a tough to kind of put too much weight in the two losses, but I will say this, uh, it's nice to get it to just kind of get a leg up on what is a really good conference in the big sky. As far as their FBS wins overall, they had the most by conference with four, which I find kind of ironic just if you're looking at weighted uh, matchups and strength of schedule. Northern Arizona just beat U of A, but didn't beat South Dakota. 
U of A, <laughs> meaning Arizona, Power Five Arizona, right? So, but didn't beat South Dakota. South Dakota took them to the woodshed. So, I think that that's, <laughs> I think that that's kind of a telling point there, right? And then, I think I think the big, the big heavy hitters in the Big Sky um, are going to be Montana, Montana State. Those yep. are those are the big heavy hitters. Obviously, UC Davis does some nice stuff out there. I'm just talking about the most complete teams. Don't want to take anything away from UC Davis. I just think that. Montana and Montana State have been those fixtures in that conference for so long. And then with the resurgence of Bobby Hope, Bobby Hauk, sorry, Bobby Hauk coming back for a head coaching stint at Montana, that's going to be huge. Montana State obviously is playing with some fire with the new head coach as well. So that's pretty exciting to uh, to kind of see us get a dub there because whenever you're going to compete, especially against other conferences at that level, you want to you want to compete with uh, some tenacity. I do find it interesting. South Dakota took Cal Poly um, out back and spanked him pretty good as well. Um, Carson Camp kind of had a resurgence at quarterback, driving the ball down the field a little bit better. Listening to an interview with him, he said he trusted his teammates more. So, again, that will be a fascinating matchup down the road with the Jacks. Um, Cal Poly, though, um, has uh, Bo, Bo Baldwin as their head coach, former Eastern Washington head coach. He is revamping that offense, which was from a triple option type look to now more of a conventional spread, like conventional modern day spread type offense. So you're going to see some some changes, some growing pains there, just like you're seeing at programs like uh, Georgia Tech uh, at the FBS level who are trying to migrate away from that triple option. Yeah, that's that's something where you can see, you know, the start of the season, somebody can really struggle. But, you know, if you're you're installing something schematically by the time you get to the end, you can have an entirely different ball club. I mean, yeah. you know, if, if they're able to make a bit of a run in the conference and, and sneak into an at large bid or something, who knows? That could still be a, a pretty decent team. Yeah. You're saying Cal Poly? Yeah. I'm just saying that anybody, if, if you have that kind of disruption, you totally change around everything schematically, you change the offense. And I know nothing about what their roster looks like. I mean, they, they, they might only end with one win this year. I have no idea. I'm just saying that, that you know, it's been a decent team. Uh, you know, what we're seeing now probably isn't something you'll see later on. Uh, and, and then the other comment I was going to make was just, I like, you mentioned kind of just, I don't know, taking the temperature against, you know, another premier conference. And it does make you kind of start to think about playoffs a little bit. I know it's way too soon for anybody. You know, we're allowed to think about it. it it's improvement week. We got nothing else to talk about. Uh, so it's, yeah, you, you start to imagine what some of these playoffs or what some of these uh, matchups could look like in, in late November, early December. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's going to change completely, right? Because they're going to know their rosters better. It's kind of like the comment Kurt Kurt Lickis just put up here. He he watched the first half of Eastern Washington and the Leathernecks, and he thinks he knows less now than before the game. And that, <laughs> I, I mean, that couldn't be more spot on because sometimes you had an impression of what a team would be. You see what they actually are. And then by week six, it's completely different, right? <laughs> I mean, every, each week is so brand new. Um, you can kind of get a beat on the guys and they're going to, the the dogs are going to emerge as, you know, the cream of the crop, if you will, like the Eric Barriers of the world. But as far as, you know, the complexion, it's so early to tell who's going to make it, but I think you can have an idea. The Valley will get a handful of teams in the playoffs. I mean, at least three, I would imagine. Um, one auto bid because there's seven AQ conferences, one auto bid. And then, of course, a couple, if not three, 
uh, at large bids, I would imagine just with the, I mean, just with the strength of schedule. And then you got to think if it becomes a log jam in the big sky and there's not a clear undefeated champ there, you got to think there's going to be multiple bids there as well. Right. And I do want to give kudos, right? Because <clears throat> Weber state was not one of the teams that were, was on the big sky MVFC challenge, nor were the Dakota dominant schools, but Weber state just played James Madison. That's a big, big non-conference matchup. Obviously James Madison took the W there traveled really well. And then obviously, as mentioned earlier in the Twitter verse, uh, apparently James Madison and, and NDSU are too good for the FCS and it's a foregone yeah. conclusion. They're going to be in the, in the natty. They're over it already. <laughs> they're over it already. But I do want to give kudos to both administrations for scheduling a very strong out of conference uh, matchup there. And then for James Madison, literally traveling coast to coast for that matchup, roughly coast to coast. Obviously Ogden is not on the coast, but it's pretty darn close relative to where James Madison is out there in, in Virginia. So that was pretty exciting. I'd like to see more tough matchups like that. I think you're, you, you'd get more attendance, but then again, what the hell do I know? Last week we played D2 Lindenwood and we had over 15,000 stands. So awesome. I mean, Man, it was, was a great, great turnout. Game. So yeah. maybe opponent is kind of relative, but uh, I'm just excited for ball to be back, right? I'm excited for ball to be back. We got the big sky MVFC challenge out of the way four four to two went to the good guys again, the whole Valley conference moving forward. The Jacks have a, a familiar foe, but a team they haven't played for a while, man. Uh, Indiana state last time they played Indiana state. Uh, they also went to Terre Haute out in Indiana. So we're going to be on the road. We went there in 2019 with Jabori Gibbs under center. Um, Pierre obviously had a good game. Uh, Jabori went through the air. Uh, I know that we had we did a good job on defense and got after the quarterback really well. This can be a completely different Sycamore team from the standpoint of they had a whole spring where they didn't even play ball. And uh, uh, we're excited because we got a little treat for you here. Um, we're going to be able to get their play-by-play -play guy uh, on, and uh, I believe he's about to join us, right, Dallas? Yeah, he's uh, Luke's about ready to, to jump in here. So excited uh, in a minute here to welcome Luke Martin. He's a play-by-play -play voice uh, for the Sycamores. Again, a super short notice. Uh, you know, able to to jump on and chat here, and and actually, let me uh, we'll go ahead and get him dialed up here right now. There we go, Luke. Can you hear us, sir? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes, sir. Just fine. Welcome. Uh, one, thank you again for, for just short notice jumping on. Uh, excited to hear about your squad. But I, I was going to ask, has your voice uh, come back after <laughs> after last night? I, I, I heard your call on that. And I got that sounded exciting. Yeah. You know, when you get down to the very last second, you know, it's it'd be nice if those games were a little bit decided before the final two seconds of the game. Right. But it was a lot of fun. And you know, to be able to win a game like that on the road, you know, really two evenly matched teams. I mean, there's no secret. I mean, the competition level for Indiana State is going to go up a notch uh, this weekend when the Jackrabbits come into Terre Haute. But if you would have been leaving Richmond, Kentucky, losing in the fashion it would have, which you don't trail all night long till 49 seconds are left in the game, but you find a way to come back, you, you score, and the guys who did it was amazing. Curtis Wilderman, who didn't win the starting job, it was a lackluster kind of first half offensively. He starts the second half. And Faison McClurge, who got the game-winning touchdown, was hurt in fall camp, and he was actually on the scout team offense the first week of the season uh, and ends up catching two touchdowns last night in a crazy win. So, but hey, it could have been much worse. The voice is back. 
Uh, the voice feels good today. Uh, that's what happens when you get back around 4 a.m. and you can sleep it off a little bit. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it. You know, so that's that's multiple games now that have come down to the wire a little bit uh, for for the Sycamores, but they've been able to grit it out both times. What, what do you think is is some of the cause of that? Yeah, you know, this has been a team going back to Coach Mallory's first year, where the where South Dakota State didn't get, didn't get a chance to play Indiana State in 2017. And that was an 0-11 season for Indiana State under Coach Mallard in his first year. But you look at the first three weeks of the season, that Eastern Illinois game they lost in a last-second touchdown in the closing seconds. Played Tennessee in a Power 5 game, didn't go very well. And then the third week of the season, they played Liberty their last year, kind of in that FCS before they jumped to the FBS, and they lost on a blocked field goal. Uh, they lined up, they got down within the 10-yard line, lined up to kick a field goal that would have won it. And they end up getting it blocked, and they were 0-3. And those negative energies of not being able to kind of complete it in the first year uh, to now these close games, NES State's starting to find a way to win those. And a lot of that is because you have experienced guys, whether it's Anoke Mawala on the defensive side, uh, even though Dante Hendricks hasn't been playing recently due to an injury, wide receiver for NES State team captain, Michael Thomas, a team captain. They have guys who have been through the struggle. They have guys who have been through where they've been on the other side. Uh, they've been on the Eastern Kentucky side where they've been, they've had their heart ripped out at the end of the game, um, but they've been right there. Uh, the Northwestern game just got down very quickly, 14, nothing, but they fought. It was a, it was a game the rest of the way that was pretty darn even. Um, but when you dig yourself a 14 point hole early, just unable to come back. So yeah, th those games, there's been some close ones. There's been some entertaining ones and, Luckily, on Indiana State's side of the ledger, they've been able to come out at least this year uh, on the positive side for that. I'm curious, uh, before we get into the roster here, you, you talked about dropping some games and then now uh, that you know they, they were tight and then things are starting to turn around now. And, and obviously, Mallory and his, uh, you know, this season now has got a little bit more experience. What's, uh, can you talk, speak to kind of the culture that he's instilling and what, you know, kind of what he's pushing around the, uh, around the locker room? Yeah, I mean, the culture has been a huge thing that had to be changed when he got the job. Um, that, that was kind of an area where Indiana State football needed to grow. Uh, it, it's It's been a complete culture change since his first year in 2017. And, you know, he started to get guys that are just buying into the program and what they want to do and where they want to go. And, you know, Indiana State's a basketball school. There's no secret about that when you have the history of a Larry Bird that came here and played. Of course, that's what everybody, when they hear Indiana State, that's who they think of, right? But Coach Mallory is the son of Bill Mallory. He's the all-time winningest coach in Indiana. Uh, probably, well, not probably about it. IU made the mistake of firing him and thinking they could do better, and they ultimately did not. Uh, but the Mallory name resonates in the state of Indiana. It always will resonate in the state of Indiana. And when Coach Mallory, Kurt Mallory, that is, goes and talks to all the high school coaches in the state, all those high school coaches were kids wanting to play for Bill Mallory's program at Indiana. Uh, yeah, Indiana State is an FCS program. They're not, you know, the, the necessarily the FBS programs, right, where you got Purdue, IU, Notre Dame, of course, where those kids, if they get an opportunity to go to play at that level, odds are they're not going to choose an FCS program over you. But there's been a lot of Indiana kids. I'm pretty sure Coach Mallory's first year, there were 23 kids from the state of Indiana on the roster. Now there's nearly 50. So he's doubled that, which means there's more input. There's more fan interest because a lot of these guys that suit up and play are local kids, and they bring their families and their friends from all the areas and across the state of Indiana. 
And Indiana's gotten better, much, much better in high school football, really, since Peyton Man and the Colts kind of had that boom in the 2000s. And it's still basketball state, and Hoosier hysteria is still a thing in high school basketball in this state. But high school football's improved. And I think that's helped the program out a lot. But to kind of come full circle, you know, back to the program, yeah, there's been a culture change here at Indiana State. This is a program that believes that they can make the postseason, that that should be the goal. Uh, there's there's times where you look through the record book for Indiana State, you go five and seven. That's a good year. Uh, that's not the expectation now. Um, they want to make sure that they can be in the conversation, that they can be in the hunt, and that, that they, can, they can make the postseason and be a team like many in this league. Right, the Valley's a darn good league. There are going to be many teams that are not going to be vying for a playoff spot. There's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be jockeying for that position. Indiana State hopes they can be one of those. And so when, when you look at that culture shift and that change, right, like there have been glimpses um, from previous mm-hmm. teams that have assembled good rosters. There was a quarterback transfer, I want to say from Washington in, in like 2011 or so Ronnie or 12. Yeah, yeah he's, he's actually now on staff at Missouri State with Coach Petrino. Well, there you go. So, I mean, some really talented players who obviously are football guys who then carry on their career into the coaching realm. But then you have, you know, they, they took out the Bison, I think, at home that year. Um, and, and handed them one of their losses. And that's like, that's no easy feat for any team. Um, for guys that played the Bison um, in our careers, you know, we, we were fortunate to get three straight when I played. And it was a it was a dogfight every time. So, I mean, they do have rapport of kind of getting, just getting to that, that top of the mountain, but never being able to get over that hump, right? So from a practical, realistic perspective, is like a seven-win season kind of the aim to try to be, obviously, everybody goes into the season trying to win the conference, right? Yeah. You don't want to ever sell yourself short, but you have to practically frame the rebuild. Is that is that kind of something that's on the forefront of Kirk, Kirk's mind? I, I think, you know, there's never really been a big talk of win total, you know, of necessarily a number to get, you know, we have to get to six or seven or eight wins. I mean, when you look at it and you look how tough the league is going to be, if you get to that number, that's very impressive. Um, I, I think so, at least in this league. You know, Indiana State does not see North Dakota this year. They do not see you and I either. Those are probably two teams that will be towards the upper ledger of the league. Um, so maybe they get a little bit of a break there in terms of the schedule, but they do get the Bison back. <laughs> uh, of course, they obviously play the Jackrabbits this weekend. So uh, talk about a way to start off your conference play. But, I, I, you know, I've been around Coach Mallory. We've been able to get to know each other very well. He's really become a really good friend of mine. And, you know, to answer, I'm not trying to avoid the question, but I yeah. just think he would answer it the same way. Like, I mean, our goal is, yes, to go in and make the postseason, whatever that is. If that means you need seven wins, then that's the goal. If that means you need eight wins, then that's where you need to get to. Right. Man, that's going to be so hard, um, not just because of uh, the difficulty of the league, but I still think, yes, Indiana State did what they needed to do for them to be in position to even have this conversation. They had to be 2-1 and one and really beat two teams that they should beat uh, in Eastern Kentucky and Eastern Illinois. They did that. But, again, now is, okay, what are you going to do when – the schedule gets turned up a notch. What are you going to do when you go up against a team that I personally think is the best team in the country and has looked the most impressive through two games uh, being South Dakota state? Yeah. I mean, well put. And I didn't, I didn't try to ask that question to try to kind of box you in there. I just, as, as you're familiar with the Valley as Dallas and I are, it it does get to a point where you're like, all right, I think that seven win is, is seven wins is the threshold to kind of take that next step. Um, yeah, and you same. know, and that, that is not a bad, 
that is not a bad uh, look for a season in the Missouri Valley. No, not not at all. And, and I agree with your point. I think for Indiana State to so back in 2018, Indiana State start was two and one. That's the last time they were two and one. But they would ultimately lose the next three games. Uh, Northern Iowa shut them out. I think 33 nothing to start off conference play. Went on the road to South Dakota State. Nearly won that game. That yeah. game went in the overtime. It was a very high, high scoring affair, right? <laughs> yeah, high scoring affair. Uh, kind of showed that that was kind of the first game where you kind of saw Indiana State's offense really get it in gear, and, mm-hmm. and that was a team that was capable. Uh, to be able to score with the Jacks. And the following week, they lost on a last-second touchdown to Missouri State. And all of a sudden, they were 2-1 and one and now 2-4. and four, And they win the last five games, nearly made the playoffs, yeah. and, and got to, at that point, you know 7-4 and four on the year. Um, so I, I think seven wins. My, my point is, NES State's got to walk the walk. And yeah. in 2019, they were very confident that it was going to be a team that would ultimately prove that they were going to be in the upper echelon of the league. They did not do it. Um, the last five games of the year, they were all one possession games in the fourth quarter, and they only win the last two. So, yes, I, I would agree with you to answer your question. I think from a fan perspective, from people on the outside excluding the players, it's kind of hard to include them. If any state found a way to get the seven wins this year, which means that win, that means you win, you know, five games in the valley, you know, from this point on, that is a tremendous year for for this group. I think, especially when you factor in you didn't play a year ago. And there's still a lot of stuff for them, I think, to clean up uh, to get to that point. Yeah, certainly. And then to, to that point, in 2018, obviously, it's a, it's a little bit different team here in 2021. Three years later, you may have some carryover with just a, a few guys there. But in early in the year, we were joking about it earlier before we, we brought you on. The complexion of teams just changes so much throughout the course of the year. Who are some of the early guys who've emerged on the scene so far who have kind of got you uh, just second glance in the roster here at like, wow, I didn't, I didn't fully anticipate this guy contributing to the degree that he has, or, you know, just, just something to that effect. Yeah. Well, I think the obvious one is Faison McClurge, uh, what he did over the weekend. I mean, two touchdowns against Eastern Kentucky after, like I said, he was on the scout team first week uh, heading to Eastern Illinois. He, he didn't even make my spot board, uh, which that says a lot because, you know, in today's day and age, when you still, you know, that four game red shirt rule that you have, I try to put down as many guys as possibly could get into the game. And Faison really wasn't even in consideration uh, that first week against Eastern Illinois. Uh, he's on the spotting board now, boys. So he's actually <laughs> going to be towards the spot. He's going to be towards the top. That's not going to be a problem for Faison. I think he definitely has emerged from an offensive standpoint. Defensively, Jeffrey Brown, keep an eye on him. Indiana State's had an all-conference linebacker every year since 2016. Jonas Griffith has graduated. Clayton Glasgow graduated. Cottrell Moss, who does our TV games here in Terre Haute, he graduated a couple years back, too. His last year was that 2018 team. But Indiana State, historically, has always had really good linebackers. And Jeffrey Brown is a, is a two-year freshman, so it's the second year. He was on the roster last year, of course, didn't have a season. He earned his first start over the weekend. You will see him everywhere. And I think Jeffrey is starting to emerge as a guy who's going to kind of carry that tradition on. Uh, Heath Steven is a transfer in at linebacker as well. Uh, again, he's been on the roster technically for two years, but his first season being able to play. He came from the same junior college as Clayton Glasgow did who ended up being a all-conference level type uh, linebacker with Jonas Griffith back in 2019. Those two guys defensively have emerged. I mean, Michael Thomas has always been around. 
Uh, Mike had the two interceptions against Eastern Illinois. Um, but you know, he, he got the pick six there against Eastern Illinois, uh, back, uh, just, you know, back in the week zero, uh, Mike's been a guy that's improving. So I, I'm really excited just to see this roster continue to evolve. There's guys we knew that would be key pieces like Mike Thomas, like Anoke Mawala, uh, offensively, even though Dante Hendricks has missed the last couple of weeks, Michael Hopper missed over the weekend. Those guys we knew were going to be key, key, uh, key guys on the on the Indiana State roster. Um, but those other names that I told you, uh, keep an eye on those guys. I think those guys are going to continue to probably uh, lay the groundwork for what will be really good careers for them here in Terre Haute. Nice. I appreciate you weighing in on that, Luke. And I want to bring in our, our founder of Jackrabbit Illustrated here, Matt Tollefson. Matt uh, just joined because he wants to ask you about Robert Tanyan. Sure. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm a huge Packer fan. So uh, Big really? Bob Tanyan and uh, and Dominic Daphne, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I love those guys, the versatility. Anyone like that in that H-back tight end role currently? Yeah, well, you know, really right now the funny thing is, you know, Rob when he was here was just a wide receiver. Yeah, uh, right. He was not a tight end in college. Uh, Dom Daphne, of course, ultimately at the start of the year was just strictly a wide out for us. And then towards the end of the year, we put him in that wildcat package. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've been trying it because Michael Hoppert's been that guy. Uh, Michael Hoppert's been at wide receiver. He had four receptions, I believe, against Northwestern. Uh, he ran it against Eastern Illinois, including a 44-yard touchdown run. Mike is a guy you'll see kind of everywhere. Uh, he'll line up at quarterback in the wildcat role. He was a high school quarterback. He has the potential to throw it. Uh, but he'll line up at receiver. He'll run it as well. Um, he's probably the closest one to that, but he did not play against Eastern Kentucky. Uh, the coaches have said he's kind of a week-by-week basis in terms of uh, determining what his status will be for this weekend. Uh, but but I'm right now Zach Larkin, who was a quarterback in 2017 and in the quarterback battle, he didn't get the job. He's like, I still want to play, though, and he transitioned the tight end. He's been the main tight end for Indiana State since 2017. You will see him in that wildcat role and have the ability to run. It didn't have a ton of success over the weekend against Eastern Kentucky. They normally use it in short yardage situations. That's kind of if they need to pound it and get a yard. Odds are instead of seeing a quarterback sneak or hand it off to any of the tailbacks like a Peterson Curligran, you may see Zach Larkin go in at the wildcat spot and try to bulldoze his way just to get a yard or two in a short yardage situation. So Zach Larkin's kind of that guy right now. Sure. Michael Hoppert's kind of misdo at everything from an offensive perspective. Uh, but, man, to try to compare anybody to those two guys that you mentioned, Rob, a tremendous career as a wideout <laughs> here, which I just missed him. My first year was at Indiana State in the fall of 2017. So he graduated in the 2016 season. Uh, man, seeing Dom do what he did towards the end of that year last year was amazing. And it's so great to see because Dom's a guy who went to Iowa, mm-hmm. was so talented, really probably could have played. I mean, he's a Big Ten talent, but it just shows you how deep those rosters are when a guy like that can't even get on the field. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because when, when he caught that touchdown, I believe, in the playoff game, everyone's like, who's Dominic Daphne? And I'm like, I wrote about him two years ago. He was in my blog. So uh, it's kind of funny. I'm wondering, I'm kind of curious, um, Rontrez Morgan, maybe you guys already covered it. Um, you know, I, we all watched the first game of the season against Eastern Illinois. Him and Dante Hendricks just appeared like a, a heck of a duo that's going to be tough. 
And since then, I just looked at the stats. He has 19 receptions. Um, I remember him from a few years ago really being a speed guy is, is how I thought of him. How is his game growing? Because obviously it has if he has 19 receptions on the year. Yeah, you know, and, and you look at those reception yardages, though. You know, Trez, I think he had the 52-yard reception yesterday, and that was by far the longest one of the season. He was mm-hmm. averaging only about four yards per reception. <laughs> and a lot of those were like quick passes to the perimeter to try to make up for the lack of running game for Indiana sure. State so far this year. I mean, typically Indiana State wants to run the ball, and they want to run it well the first two weeks of the season granted they only had 31 yards rushing against northwestern so that really kind of you know puts a damper on what your rushing totals were but they were only averaging about 94 yards rushing as a team through the first two weeks of the season so that's not where they want it to be trez has really developed in terms of trying to be the main guy to be the main target because dante hendrix has been down uh, lately for indiana state you look at his numbers he has three career touchdowns two of them were against the the Jackrabbits back mm-hmm. in that game in 2018, he, he broke, I'm trying to remember, I think he broke his collarbone in that game. It was wow. on the touchdown grab that he had. I believe it was in the third quarter late in that game. I know we were going right to left, as I remember, up in the press box. Didn't know it at the time. He played through it, but he broke his collarbone mm-hmm. in that game, and he missed the rest of the season until he came back late against Western Illinois. He's been hampered by injuries. That's been kind of the biggest thing with Trez. He's just been trying to get out there and stay healthy. Um, When he's out there and he's healthy, he's fast, he's quick, he's got the speed to be able to kind of have success in those perimeter shots. But NDSD also hasn't taken a lot of shots deep down the field. It looks like they're starting to do that a little bit more. Um, So we'll see if Trez's numbers can go up. But it's just kind of ironic. He's a guy, when you say his name, you kind of look at his numbers and you feel like they should be a little bit more, sure. um, especially in his touchdowns. I feel like I've said touchdown Rontrez Morgan more than three times, uh, but sure. it's only the only three times I've been able to say it. Well, listen, we, we definitely feel your pain uh, and we'll see your collarbone and we'll raise you one because we had uh, a little situation of our own this uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend previously where uh, Isaiah Davis, you know, we wish him the best had surgery um, and, you know, hopefully he'll be, uh, back, uh, back on the horse again here shortly to be able to, to contribute, but, uh, his health comes first. We wish all the, all the players for Indiana state, uh, health, uh, after their last game. Cause you never know there's, there's always bumps and bruises and guys fighting through various things. Um, we could talk all day about the Indiana state roster. You are well-versed in it, but, um, Matt and I just want to probably bring up this. What would be some keys to success for the Sycamores, uh, obviously facing a, a stout opponent in in the Jacks, but what would be some keys to success offensively and defensively? Well, I don't think it's going to be any secret, guys. 2019 and 18, you look at the differences those two years. Indiana State turned the football over in total in 2018 eight times, and they won the last five games of the year, almost made the playoffs. In 2019, they turned the football over 26 times. Um, that was why Indiana State, a lot of those games I told you about, those last five games last year, Northern Iowa, they had the ball inside the 10-yard line three times, no touchdowns, um, unable to finish. I think holding on to the football, number one, making sure you don't turn it over. Um, I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me. I'm sure you guys have probably talked about it at some point in time. The game in 2019, it was really turnovers for Indiana mm-hmm. State that, started the steamroll for South Dakota State early. I mean, they had that 28-point, I think, second quarter 
it looked like it was pure domination, but a lot of it was just mistakes. Sack fumble. Yeah. 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 Sack fumble by Winkleman, I believe. And yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of mistakes from an Indiana State. Player. I mean, give credit to South Dakota State, of course, too, but a lot of that I felt was self inflicting. Right. So if Indiana State can hold on to the football, don't turn it over. And when they get the opportunities to score, they have to get touchdowns. When they get into the red zone, they got to one, get to the red zone, and two, finish those drives. Um, Jerry Nunez, who is the all-time points leader for Indiana State in terms of field goal kicking, he's gone. And I think that's an aspect of the game, too, for Indiana State. That's inconsistent right now. Uh, Alan Selzer, who's a transfer in from Michigan, hit his first kick from 48 yards, Mm -hmm. but he's been inconsistent since then. Um, He can hit a 48-yarder, but he can also miss one you know, between 30, 40 yards. Um, so finding that consistency from a special team standpoint for Indiana State will be key. And defensively, you have to, you have to eliminate the explosion plays. Um, Pierre Strong, we all know about him, uh, how good he is. You just can't make him have those big home run hits where it seems like he's always had in his career at South Dakota State, eliminate, eliminating those big plays defensively for the Sycamores. The defense is good enough, guys. I really think that is the strength of this Indiana State team. It's just can they play complementary football? Um, can the offense pick up the scoring? Uh, right now, they haven't really been able to score at will. Um, heading into the Eastern Kentucky game, they only had three offensive touchdowns. And after the first quarter, because Indiana State scored on a muff punt by Eastern Kentucky, it was three three offensive touchdowns and two non-offensive touchdowns mm. on the year. That kind of shows you the struggle it's been for Indiana State offensively. They've kind of been able to move the ball at times, just haven't been able to finish those drives. So I don't want to just simplify it and say, because I feel like that's such a cliche answer of hold on to the ball, um, be sure to finish drives. But I think specifically for <laughs> Indiana State, if they don't turn it over, uh, I think sometimes we like, to con- we, we like to make this game complex and make it seem like you got to get really specific with your keys to the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for Indiana State, I think it's going to simply come down to that because they're going to have to play their A-plus game to be in the game on mm-hmm. Saturday. You so- can't have a lot of penalties. You can't turn the football over like crazy to have a chance to even win. For Indiana State to be in contention to win the game on Saturday – they have to limit turnovers, and they have to finish drive offensively. That's going to be the biggest thing for the Sycamores uh, come Saturday against the Jackrabbits. So, sometimes cliches are cliches because they're true. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> that's one of them. Yeah, just, just being a broadcaster, we try to not talk in cliches all the time because that's a big you know, bugaboo in terms of what we do. But you're right. There, there's a reason they're cliches too. Certainly. Uh, I want to say we we uh, we kept you longer than than I promised. I hope you're good to hang out for another minute yeah, or two. Here. Awesome. Uh, we've talked about skill guys a lot, and one of the hallmarks uh, we think of the South Dakota State team is is the the line both sides of the ball got some size, got some serious skill, and you know I, I think that that's a huge reason why you know some of our skill guys have had the success that they've had. Can you can you cover uh, cover the lines for Indiana State? What what you guys bringing to the table? Defensively, it's been a change in terms of the scheme. Uh, Indiana State was a four-man front kind of consistently in 2019. They've now kind of primarily gone to a three-man front. Uh, you'll see Anoki Moala, uh, Gamma Deneen, who was a Pioneer Football League, uh, all-Pioneer Football League guy at Drake. He was their team captain. He's kind of been the main nose guard for Indiana State. And then Caleb Brewer, 
kind of makes up that defensive line on the opposite end in terms for Indiana State. But that's a group where I feel why the Jackrabbits are now consistently the best team or one of the best teams in the country is because you can rotate guys and keep them fresh. I think Indiana State once is closer to that. They probably rotate maybe seven, eight guys consistently. I don't think they're quite past eight where it seems like South Dakota State is, but you'll see a mixture of probably eight guys go in consistently changing in and out, and that's made a difference because Indiana State can now sub Mm -hmm. uh, where in the past they've really not been able to do that, and as the game goes down, they really get worn down. Offensively up front, I still think that is a question mark for Indiana State. Um, I don't think that that was kind of heading into 2019. It was supposed to be a strength, and it was not. Uh, they had five redshirt seniors start that year, and I felt they were pretty underwhelming, to be honest, and wasn't to the point where they should be. Um, this year, Isaiah Edwards is kind of that big guy there in the left guard spot. He went down late against Eastern Kentucky but came back, so assume he will be okay. Uh, Keegan Trost uh, was our starting left tackle. It was his first start at left tackle against Eastern Kentucky. Uh, he went down on the first drive. Uh, he was in a boot at halftime, so that's probably not very optimistic, but haven't heard exactly what his status will be. Carter Heron, who was the starter the first couple games of the year, he came back and got that spot on the left tackle. Carter's now, I think, like 315, 320. He came in as a freshman at 255, so it kind of shows you the weight that he's been able to put on and get stronger. Uh, Jose Vasquez is as tough as you can be. Uh, Jose kind of had to be thrown into the fire in 2019. He's now gotten stronger. Uh, Joel Stevens will be starting at the right tackle spot. Um, it's an offensive line that has grown. Uh, you'll see Indiana State also bring in guys that are linemen but will wear tight end numbers, basically just trying to be one that they could be eligible, and if a pass could be thrown to them, they could get into that spot, uh, but also to bring in just extra blockers. So you'll see guys like Jalen Booth. He's a transfer from San Diego State. Uh, Adib Jowney uh, just had his first action over the weekend uh, against Eastern Kentucky uh, after kind of being sick during fall camp, not COVID-related. Um, just have to say that because people freak out when you say somebody was under the weather. Uh, but he was under the weather going into the Eastern Illinois game and was unable to play. Um, so this the strength up front, I feel like offensively for Indiana State can be better. But it's getting better. i got to give those guys credit. I feel like I've been harping on them a lot through fall camp, uh, definitely early on in the season, because it takes more for them, too. I feel like not the backtrack, but I think for Indiana State, why losing Dante Hendricks was big. He was the best run blocker out of the wide receivers. And, um, you know, Ron Trez is a speedster, not so much as a, a blocker. Um, the perimeter blocking for Indiana State's got to get better, too, uh, for them, not just putting it all up front. Uh, you got to put pressure on those receivers, too, to be more physical on the outside guys and open up those lanes, too, for Indiana State. So the strength up front is getting better. Um, defensive line, I feel like is you – know, I haven't watched everybody up front, but I would put Indiana State's defensive front line up there with anybody uh, in the league. Um, as you get into the depth, uh, that's where, of course, uh, that's really going to be shown in teams like South Dakota State and all the other teams within our league. But – but Indiana State won't bat an eye. Uh, I think that defensively this is the most depth that they have had uh, under head coach Kurt Mallory, and I think it shows. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's the biggest uh, change that I've noticed as far as on film is the odd front from the even four-man front. And now you have a lot of teams going to either a 4-2-5 
uh, look or, you know, these three, four odd man looks where they can just kind of confuse offenses as far as their schemes or the blitz packages they want to bring in. Of course, everyone's going to run a nickel or a, a dime package based on circumstance, right? So for those of you listening, five DBs and six DB sets, d- depending on down and distance um, and, and what's going on in the game. But what I notice is like, it's going to take a, a minute to develop that depth uh, going from a four-man front to a three-man front, um, just because, you know, it, you, you historically, whether you're running, you know, a zero or a shade on the center, that's going to be your big two-gap eater defensive nose tackle, right? So, I mean, being able to change the body comp of those guys from a four-man front to now having to eat up more blocks, it's just going to take some time. But the reason I bring that up is because I thought we were going to throw all over Southern Illinois last year. Um, in their three-man look, but we decided to run the ball and we ran it all over them in the first matchup. It's going to be interesting to see the run game play out from an offensive perspective as far as South Dakota State because the guy who got off in that game against Southern Illinois was our big back, uh, Isaiah Davis. So it'll be interesting to see. Pierre didn't even play in that first matchup, if memory serves. So it'll be really interesting to see how he's able to kind of take on that odd man front. Yeah, well, and if you watch the Northwestern game, that's why Northwestern had so much success early running the football. I think out of, I think those first two drives, they probably ran somewhere along the lines of twenty plays. Nineteen of them, I think, were nineteen of them were rushes, and they already had over a hundred yards rushing after the first two drives. And the challenge was, it was the three man front for Indiana right. State. They made adjustments late in the game that kind of went more to a four man front as that went along. Um, and kind of got back uh, their wits about them, I guess would probably be the best way to phrase it. But, yeah, I mean, Northwestern went kind of bully ball on them and then kind of got away from it, which was kind of a head-scratcher. Um, but that's kind of how, how it went. And, yeah, I think to your point, you're exactly right. I think that's why I'm anxious to see exactly what Coach Stig uh, will do as they prepare for this game this week. I mean, there's so much respect uh, for what that guy has done and, I know Coach Mallory thinks a lot of him and the program he has built, and that's even before it's really got rolling uh, here over the last couple of years. So, and I know it's it vice versa both ways. I know Coach Stiglmeyer was one of the main coaches that reached out to Coach Mallory when he decided not to play, and was like, "You're making the best decision for your program." Uh, and you know, he was very, very supportive. I know of Coach Mallory. I think he was very supportive of those teams that elected ultimately not to play in the spring. Uh, because of their circumstances. So there's a lot of mutual respect uh, between both of these programs, even though, of course, both these teams have one goal in mind, and that's uh, to beat one another uh, come Saturday here in Terre Haute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, thinking back just to what you said just right there, that's perfect because when we did our season preview a month ago, uh, we really didn't know what to say about Indiana State because they weren't in the spring Neither season. Did we. <laughs> <laughs> but but what we said was that we know Kurt, Kurt Mallory is going to have them prepared and, and ready to play, and because I, we have a lot of respect with how he's kind of stabilized the program uh, from our from our end. Um, just the the jump that he made in that se- first to second year, right? When, yeah. Was when they made the big yeah. jump, like. So we're believers in Kurt Mallory over here. So, <laughs> well, and, and you know, the, to kind of piggyback off of that too is nobody transferred out. Hmm. You know, back in January, everybody who was here is still here. And it's a team that I feel has a lot of talented guys. And you know what? That wasn't the case throughout the league. 
you know, there were other teams. I'm not trying to throw. That's not trying to throw shade at at any other programs. But there were other programs that lost guys, uh, and you know that was probably going to happen for some programs. But that's the belief factor. You know, these guys believe in their coach. They believe in one another. Um, and not to get too clicheish again, but that's kind of what showed yesterday against Eastern Kentucky. Uh, even when they got punched right at the very end, they only had 49 seconds left in the game. There was not one doubt that they were not going to win that game. Uh, that whole sideline believed they were going to win the game. That whole sideline knew they were going to find a way to drive and have a chance to win it at the end, and they did. Um, and to your point, they were 0-11 in 2017. They got beaten by an average score of 52-10. to 10. The games were not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, now – you know that when you get into a game with Indiana State, they're going to fight you till the very end. They're not going to be maybe the most talented, and it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to win every week, um, but it's going to be a fight, and they're they're not going to back down and go, oh, my goodness, South Dakota State, here's probably the best team in the country coming in this weekend. They're going to look forward to that opportunity and having a chance to play South Dakota State because they know the Jackrabbits are going to be ready. They know there's going to be many haymakers that they're going to throw. They're just looking forward to throwing some of their own. Metaphorically this, speaking, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, now this yeah, with all be, the new conning rules, we don't want any any more flags. <laughs> no, yes. man, this this is going to be a game. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, you know, kind of in closing or before you take off here, I it 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 feels to me like the the Gopher team that the Jackrabbits should have beat in 2019, where they, they I mean they had had a lot of talent, they had a lot of a lot of seniors on that team, but you know they they eked out their first four wins of the season end up with 11 wins and absolutely maximized, you know, what, what they had that year because everybody believed in each other and they, they all kind of got on the same page. So having wins like that at the start of a season can bring a team together and, you know, uh, really can, can even outperform maybe what they would have otherwise. So Mm -hmm. Um, anything, I guess you guys uh, got for Luke here before we let him go. I got I got one thing just switching from the football domain. We have folks who are going to travel to Terre Haute and uh, enjoy and maybe stimulate some some of the economy down there. What are some of the staple uh, restaurants and, or, or things in the kind of the vicinity that they should check out? Well, come on down to Paradise. That's what everybody calls it here in Terre Haute. Uh, we love love to have you. All the folks from Brookings. You know, one of my really favorite places. You know, if you're getting up to go to Memorial Stadium on a Saturday morning. Stop by Cackleberries. Uh, it's right off of campus. It's a mom and pop type breakfast shop. So we if you're them. a really big breakfast food lover uh, and you really kind of like those mom and pop type breakfast places, um, Cackleberries is can't miss. Um, it's cool. just right off campus. Uh, they do a lot of the catering in terms of food for the guys nice. uh, for breakfast throughout the week and for meals like that. So Cackleberries is definitely one of my favorite places. If you're looking for like, you know, really good burgers that are not healthy for you. Uh, Fifi's right on Wabash, which is just close to Memorial Stadium. Uh, they have like breakfast burgers and I mean, stuff that are just absolutely not good for you at all. Uh, tons of calories, all that kind of stuff, but really good food. Another kind of local, local establishment. Uh, that's really good. That's only about, oh, probably three minutes from the stadium. So if you're looking for someplace that's really close, um, that's always a fun place to go. Well, I, I pull up their website, and the, the first thing that pops up is a burger with two donuts for buns. <laughs> Love it. Oh, there we go. There you go. I'm telling you, it is great food. And actually, one of the people that introduced me to that was Coach Mallory himself. So it was kind of one – it's kind of like uh, hitting a little bit. You kind of got to find it. You, you'll blink, If you blink, you'll probably drive by it. 
but those are really two like really cool places uh, in terms from a from a food standpoint here. Um, if you're a Jackrabbit fan coming and looking to try to grab a place to eat, uh, those two local places are are really good and, and uh, a lot of fun to go visit. And they're they're big supporters of Indiana State. Just just good uh, to go in and, and grab a good slice of slice of food. Awesome, awesome, much appreciated. Thank you, Luke. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. And, uh, you know, when we make the trip to South Dakota state here, hopefully, you know, in a year, uh, it'd be great to meet you guys. So appreciate you. Let me hop on and ramble about the sycamores for a little bit. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank Our you. Pleasure. <laughs> Thanks guys. All right, Luke Martin, everybody play by play voice for the sycamores. That was awesome. Hey, and you know, that's a, that's a great time. He was talking about his local favorites. It's a great time for us to drop our local favorite real quick. We talked about Drake's place earlier. Just want to sprinkle in here. Our other title sponsor, Cottonwood coffee, Cottonwood coffee on main. If you're going to study, get some, get some work done. If you're a small business owner, you got some work to do swing on down to the main street location, Cottonwood coffee. If you, if you want to grab a bite, they have the bistro location as well. Man, I love their breakfast burrito. That's my go-to. Lauren, my girlfriend, loves their veggie spread on their bagels. They always have great coffee on drip, too, and espresso if you need a quick pick-me-up. So go check them out. Uh, love to have them as a part of a, a sponsor bur- sponsor for the podcast. Kyle, that segue would make Joe Buck blush. That was fantastic. I'm so <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I got to pull my weight here some somehow, you know? That's awesome. How's it going, guys? It's going good, man. Luke gave us so much good, good quality uh, information and insight as to the program. Far better than I think we could have done. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he agreed. I mean, I, I reached out to him at like three o'clock this afternoon and, and jumped on here at seven thirty. So, yeah, cool. good dude. Uh, the one player, you know, that I'm really interested in on their defensive front that he did mention is number 13, uh, that Anoka Malola. Yeah, uh, he he was just a destroyer All in work. that game against uh, Eastern to open the season. Um, he did get gassed towards the end of the game. It looked like, um, but man, he plays with a lot of fire. Um, so I'm I'm really interested just to see how he plays against our tackles. Um, we'll see. Yeah, in the quarterback uh, matchup or the whoever gets the nod is going to be interesting too, right? Because Wilderman got some play after Thompson. Um, so it looks like, you know, there was maybe some struggles and things like that um, in the second Eastern game against Eastern Kentucky that they pulled out at the last last second, literally as well. Um, it'll be it'll just be fun. It'll be fun to get to get a taste of what the Sycamores are now, uh, not having played last year and then to, to just really kind of ramp up conference play. We put put the non-conference stuff behind us and, and get ready to rock. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's pretty much what I got. It is. We're at uh, at about an hour here. Um, Let's do predictions. Run, you want to run through picks? I don't know, Matt. Matt, you jumped in late here. Glad you did. Any, anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't yet? Uh, no, I'm excited to see um, for, for the Jacks who we use in that second running back role. Um, we've said before, and you guys said last week, we we don't want Pierre carrying the ball 30 times a game. It just can't, it's not sustainable for how, oh. for his build. Um, so I don't know. Someone's going to have to carry the ball and I'm just excited to see what our offense looks like after this improvement week um, and, and who steps forward. So um, we'll go, we'll go forward with that. So we'll see. 
Um, and then their defense. Uh, I'm just excited. I don't know. I, I'm excited for football again. It's been a busy, busy week and weekend for me. Uh, so I'm excited to have some time for some football. So my prediction, my prediction is Jackrabbits, 35-17. I like that. What do you got, Dallas? Oh, making me go second. I was going to wait and just kind of between you guys. <laughs> I'm still, uh, I mean, I'm I, still mulling over, so I had to make yeah, you guys. Yeah, I, I think this team's sneaky. Uh, I mean, if, if somebody's going to surprise the conference, I, I think it's going to be the Sycamores this year. Uh, let's go. I mean, I, I think just in in the end, uh, size is going to be too much, and defensive line depth is going to be too much. So I'm going to go Jackrabbits. Let's go. Think let's go 28 28-10. 28-10. That's that's giving a nice uh nice nod to them. That's good. I, I think that you know after hearing Luke talk about it and after watching, I, I do think that their offense is gonna struggle against our defense. Um just because that's our defensive line seems to be just just a pest. And as far as the offense our offense versus their defense is concerned, it'll be interesting to see how we approach that three four front. I'm going to say we'll put up uh, – I think we'll put up 35 to 38 points. So I'm going to say 38 – I'm going to say 38 to 14. Good guys. All right. Well, well there we, we go. That's what happens <laughs> when Matt joins late. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I uh, – yeah. So – I wasn't blaming you. It just, it throws the whole vibe off. It's I know. Funny. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> church council. Uh, <laughs> so with that, uh, we'll wrap it up this week. We have uh, a number of things coming at you. If you, if you need to go back and listen to Kyle's interview with Mark Gronowski, uh, we haven't really plugged it probably enough. Go back and listen to his interview with Stig. That was a phenomenal interview. Um, I haven't been on the podcast yet to plug it yet. Uh, that is one of my favorite interviews we've had on the show. Uh, because it was a coach talking to a former player. And Stig is usually very real and honest in his interviews. Um, this, to me, was like a different level. You know, uh, finding out that uh, Desperado is one of his pump-up songs before a game. I, I laughed in my car listening to that. I sang Desperado in show choir once. So, uh, so it was kind of funny. But go back and listen to that. You know, we have the preview of Indiana State coming out. We have What's Cooking. Uh, we have the What to Watch. And then the B team's going to be on on Tuesday night. Right, Dallas? So, yeah. So lots of good stuff coming at you this week. We're excited for the games to be back. Correct. All kind of content. Ready to get fired back up. Watching football. And again, I've made another Jackrabbit Central purchase. So shout out to them for the crop top that my girlfriend got. Hopefully it'll buy me some more equity in our relationship. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to wear the crop top. I really yeah. You don't want to see me in a crop top. <laughs> All right. With that, no more fashion talk here. Uh, have a great week. Um, let's go Jackrabbits on Saturday. Go big. Go blue. Go Jackrabbits. This has been the Splitting Hairs Podcast. Remember to like and subscribe as well as follow Jackrabbit Illustrated on Facebook and Twitter. But if I can eat the meat of my opponents, like, wouldn't that be dope? I sang Desperado in show choir once. So. <laughs> <laughs>